0: How many of you have been watching the Olympics? Okay. can learn a lot from the Olympics. One of the things I wanted to share with you this morning is did you know that the Olympics actually started from the ancient Greeks? Everybody knew that part, right? Okay. But it was how they trained for battle. All of the events that you saw in the early Olympics, the ancient Olympics, for battle training te- techniques. So did you ever think why we still throw the javelin? Nope. Yeah? The javelin was pretty prominent in Roman or in the Greek army. You know, throwing projectiles, the discus, hammer, shot put. They were practicing for battle, yeah. running, you know, canoeing, all the things that they, it was all training for battle. Now we celebrate it as a sport. And. Does everybody get a gold medal? Okay, emphatically, no. Not everybody gets the gold medal in the Olympics. One person in the event gets the gold medal. And I know some of you are going to correct me that two guys got the gold medal in the high jump this year. Okay, we'll talk about that later. But one person in the event gets the gold medal. Was it easy to get the gold medal? The 4x400 four relay, four guys, four women run 400 l- meters, one lap around the track. And Rick, would you stand up for just a second? Put Rick on the spot here. On, the United States 4x4 four four men's team won the gold medal. They won it by about a second and a half over their nearest competition. So that means if I'm Rye Benjamin, our anchor man, the second place guy was that far behind me. Thank you, Rick. Okay. The Olympics, everybody's bringing their best. They've trained. What the Americans did that day, last night, looked easy. They won by a very large margin for an Olympic competition. But what we didn't see is the training. That's right. We didn't see the work that they put into it for years to get to the point where they were able to crush the rest of the world in that event. When you see Christians, walking things out, walking through hardships, walking through turmoil that comes in their life, and you think, how can they be so calm? How can they be at such peace? How can they have joy in the midst of the persecution they're going through? Why do they make it look easy? Why is it? Because they put the time in preparing for the battle. They didn't just step onto the track. They didn't just step onto the battlefield and say, I'm gonna run a 45 second, 400 meter today. You don't do that. There is natural gifting and talents that can carry you so far, but nobody runs a 45-second 400 meters unless they've trained hard for it. So when we talk about the battle plan that you know, I spoke about a few weeks ago, is that's part of it. It's training. It's be, being prepared for what's coming, knowing that Satan doesn't want you to succeed. He wants you to fall. He wants you to give up but we can't because the world depends on us the world's depending on us as Christians to step up and make it look easy because we have such a peace we have such a comfort in who Christ is in us that we don't look like we're struggling not that we don't struggle but that we're transparent about it we've put the time in with the Father we've put the time in reading the word and we don't just say We'll figure it out as we go along. Train for the battle. You know, those of you that are in the military, does anybody sitting in here right now have a Purple Heart? we have any Purple Heart recipients? Okay. I know we've got military guys in here. Why don't any of you have a Purple Heart? You weren't wounded. Purple Heart is reserved for those that were wounded in the course of action. So thank you all for your service, but also thank you that you weren't wounded, I guess. So not everybody gets the Purple Heart. You earn it by being in the line of fire and taking a hit, if you will. So everything is not all-inclusive. And that's one of my points I want to make to you, is Christianity is exclusive. You are not a Christian apart from having the saving love of Christ in your heart. Again, just because you're sitting here this morning doesn't make you a Christian. I'm glad all of you are sitting here, I'm glad you're you know, watching online, whatever it happens to be. But apart from the love of Christ redeeming you from hell, that's what makes you a Christian. It's not a just we step through the doors, automatically you're part of the club. That's right. It's about what's happened inside your heart. So that's the point that we're making, that's the things that we want to talk about. Um, before I go any further, um, we've been trying to give you notes that you can work with. So. Did everybody get notes that wants them? If you didn't, put your hand up and we'll get some around to you. But. So over the last couple of weeks, you know, we talked about the battle plan, knowing ourselves, knowing our weaknesses and our strengths. So on the handout, the first thing that I want to remind us of is remember that it's a spiritual battle. In Ephesians 6.12 it says we do not battle against flesh and blood but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of darkness and against spiritual wickedness. It's a spiritual battle. We are not each other's enemies. Those that are lost are definitely not our enemies. It's a spiritual battle. We have to be constantly reminded of that, that it's not about the flesh and the blood. It's not about what you can see and perceive with your senses. It's about the spiritual battle the aspect of it that a lot of times we neglect or forget about. And the battle plan that I talked about was we have to know our own weaknesses, we have to know our strengths, we have to know Christ, we have to know the enemy, we have to train for the battle, and then we have to engage the enemy. And just like any other battle, is when you get into a battle, there's going to be casualties, right? So over the next couple weeks, that's going to be kind of my extension of the battle plan that I did a few weeks ago, is I'm going to do another two-part series on wounded warriors. Our country, the United States of America, we've had a lot of battles over the course of our history, right? Um, Have have any of you heard of the soldier who could not die? The soldier who could not die. Sounds pretty far-fetched, right? Okay, just let me build a little story for you. Um, could you bring up that slide, please? Seventeen fifty-five, not that one. <laughs> Sorry, seventeen fifty-five. During the French and Indian War, um, the French had their Indian allies. The British had their Indian allies. Um, a twenty-three-year-old colonel from Virginia was leading a hundred Virginian. Um, Buckskins, they called them, and they joined with 1,300 of the British regulars in an attempt to push the French out of western Pennsylvania. The Pittsburgh area is where they were actually heading for. And the British walked themselves r- right into a ambush, walked through a ravine, and the French and their Indian allies were on either side of the ravine. The British very nicely walked right down in the middle of it and basically were massacred. Um, 1,400 approximately British and colonial militia walked into that ravine. 714 of them were killed or wounded. So over half of them were killed or wounded. There were 86 British officers and um, American officers. 62 of them were wounded or killed. There was only one officer that was not shot off of his horse. Of all the mounted officers, only one did not get shot off his horse. This was the soldier who would not die. He wrote to his family because the rumor that spread around the colony is what the, the entire force had been killed. All 14 of them were dead. And so this man wrote to his family, said, I'm alive. And I'm actually going to read some of his words. He wrote to his family to know, let them know he wasn't dead. And he recounted that he had had four bullet holes in his jacket. He had two horses shot out from underneath him. But he wasn't shot. And he also wrote these words I have been protected beyond all human probabilities and expectation by the powerful dispensation of providence. Providence means God. They used, in colonial times, providence meant God. When word of his divine protection swept the colonies, a prominent minister of the day said this Divine providence, God, has preserved this man for some important service to this country. And he guess as to who this man was, who the soldier was who could not die? George Washington. Okay. George Washington. That was the soldier <laughs> depicted in this painting that you're seeing up there. The soldier who would not die, who could not die. You want to know what the best part of the story is? That was pretty good so far, right? Yeah, yeah. You know what the best part of the story was? Fifteen years later, George Washington was back in western Pennsylvania doing some surveying work. And an old Indian chief came to him, because he'd heard that George Washington was in the area. And he said, I came to meet the soldier, the young soldier from that great battle so many years ago. And this Indian chief recounted that the French and their Indian allies had specifically targeted officers. And he said, I specifically targeted you. And he said, his gun was a gun that never missed. He was a sharpshooter. He said he personally shot at George Washington 17 times and never hit him. And at some point he got the revelation that there must be, and again his own words, the great spirit is protecting this man so I'm going to stop wasting my ammunition. He instructed his other braves and sharpshooters, leave that guy alone. There's something about him that God's protecting. And another chief also came forward, and he personally also said, I personally shot at you 11 times, and my gun never misses. So did God have a plan for George Washington's life? Okay, very obvious. When God appoints you for a purpose, the plans of the enemy cannot prevail. So every one of you sitting here this morning, what's the plan and the purpose God has for your life? If you're following after God's plan, if he's got something in store for you, whether you think it's great or not, he's got your back. He's going to protect you against all the attacks of the enemy. Let's look at the Bible, the life of Jesus, the one that we come to worship, the one that we come to lean on how God protect him, it protected him. Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. It says, you know, Jesus was born, God put a star in the sky to lead the wise men from the east to come find him when he was a child. And Herod, the ruler of the area, was insanely jealous. When he heard that there was a new king born, obviously he didn't like it. It's like, you're only supposed to be honoring me, only worshiping me, and you're telling me there's this new king and you got people coming from way out east? bringing him gifts to worship him? That didn't sit well with Herod. And so in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, he ordered the murder of all the children in Bethlehem from two years old and under because he did not want anybody else to be the king. This was part of Satan's plan, that if he could take out the Savior of the world, what would God do? He'd be at a loss, right? God's smarter. God already has a plan in place and so he instructed Joseph in a dream, get out of Bethlehem, head to Egypt, stay there for a couple years, all will be good. Luke chapter 4 verse 30. Jesus was speaking truth in the synagogue. He was standing in church speaking the truth and the leaders and the Pharisees couldn't stand it. They couldn't handle the truth that he was speaking. And so they incited the crowd, and it says, they rose up and thrust him, Jesus, out of the city and led him to the edge of a cliff. Were they just showing him the sights? (laughs) It says they wanted to throw him off. They wanted to kill him because of the things he was speaking in their religious assembly that didn't coincide with the things that they wanted to teach the people. And so in verse 30, it says, he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. It's almost casual, it sounds like. You know, they're there ready to push him off the edge of the cliff, and he just, said, this isn't my time. Walked back out of there and went on his business, went on the father's business. So Satan has always been trying to thwart the plans of God. He's throwing hurdles in your own lives. He's causing things in your life that's like, why is that happening now? Satan's trying to distract you. Satan's trying to destroy the plan that God has for you. But you have to be solid. You have to understand that's his plan. He doesn't want you to succeed. He doesn't want you to give God the glory in everything that's happening in your life. He wants you to fail. He wants you to give up and do something different. And he's gonna throw anything he can to try and distract you or take you away from that. The point is Satan couldn't kill Jesus. He tried. Jesus did the work. He walked this thing out. He walked as a man. He fought the battle he was sent to do, and it was his time. This is a key thing. They tried time after time to kill him. Satan tried to kill him at his birth. Satan tried to kill him on the cliff. He tried to kill him, you know, bring him to the temptation point where he would sin. And every time Jesus stood because of what the Father had told him to do. When we get to this point right here, this cross, Jesus did not have to go to the cross. He did have to go to the cross, but he didn't have to. And that's the the burden in the Garden of Gethsemane that he had. That he said, Father, let this cup pass. But if it's your will, I'll do it. And so he was able to give himself. Nobody put him on the cross spiritually. It took the Roman soldiers, the centurions, to pound the nails into his arms and his feet. But he went there willingly. So he could not die until the right time. He was about his father's business. So everything that happened in those 33 years, those three years of his ministry, all the times that he could have died, it wasn't the right time. And so he did not allow himself. The father did not allow him to die until the timing was right. And so he fought the battle to the conclusion that it needed to be. Because if he hadn't died on that cross at the time that he did, if he had not been resurrected into the newness of life, Again, everything that I'm saying here would be worthless. It's all because of what happened there and then the resurrection. All of that is what we need to focus on, that when we walk this thing out, it's about that. He offered himself up to die on the cross and redeem us from hell, bottom line. So I asked, does everybody get a gold medal? No. Does everybody get into heaven? Yes. No. Okay. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ because he died on the cross for your sins and redeemed you from hell, then you can say yes. Yes, indeed. And I want every single one of you to be able to say yes. That's God's plan. God wants the entire world to be able to say yes. But we know that that's not the case because we're told to look at the fruits. We're told to look at what's happening in people's lives. Not that everybody's life that is a Christian that has been redeemed from hell has a perfect life, but they know who to lean on. They know to go, they know where to run to. The one song we sang, you know, run to the strong tower. You know, he's a refuge in times of weakness. He's a times, you know, in in storms, he's a place of refuge. You know, when a ship is out in a hurricane, if they can find a safe haven, a harbor that's safe to weather the storm, and they go into it. That's who Christ is. When you're in a storm, don't stand out in the gale force winds and think, oh, it'll go away eventually. Lean into Christ even stronger. Find that place of refuge. So with the battle, wounded warriors, do we all remember? Do we all acknowledge that we're in a battle? We're in a spiritual battle. Every moment that we're alive, we're in a spiritual battle. And when you're in a battle, what's the potential for being injured, for being wounded? Pretty good. I mean, if you're in a firefight with the enemy, lead's flying all over the place, bombs are blowing up, somebody's getting injured. Somebody's getting killed. Somebody's getting wounded in some way. So that's what I want to focus on today is wounded warriors. That we've, all talk, we've talked about the battle plan. We know our weaknesses. We know our strengths. We know Christ. We've trained. We know the enemy. We've engaged in the battle. Are there going to be casualties? Okay. If you're realistic, you're going to say there are going to be casualties. Should yeah. you expect casualties? Yeah. I mean, a general plan's a battle. He counts up the number of potential casualties. Yeah. What's the acceptable losses? is a thing that you'll hear in military strategies, is how many troops can we lose and still carry the field? So in a real battle between soldiers, um, on the handout, that's your, in every battle there will be casualties. That's not a very pleasant message, is it? No. Okay, but it's reality. (laughs) In a real battle between soldiers, we expect death. We expect the wounded. We expect some to be captured. There will be deserters. There will also be MIA, missing in action. In the spiritual battles, these casualties are going to happen also. And that's next week. I'll be talking more about that. But what I want to talk about more this morning is I want you to look around the room. Everybody just go ahead. I mean, do that. Look around the room. Look at the other people that are sitting here gathered with us. All those up on the balcony area, too. Okay. (laughs) There we go. Is everybody okay? I mean we 're all looking you know pretty healthy, looking you know some smiles here, you know a few grimaces here and there, but we all look okay, right? But are we really okay? Sometimes the wounds that we carry from a battle aren 't evident. Again, I actually want everybody to close their eyes now for a moment and still keep in mind yourself but also all the people that you. Put eyes on. And I'm going to be real with you here. I'm going to be blunt. As we look around the room, as we think about all that are gathered here this morning, and even across the world, all the bodies of Christ, is there anybody here committing adultery? Is there anybody here addicted to heroin? Is there anyone verbally or physically abusing your spouse or your children? Is there anyone depressed or angry? Keep your eyes closed, please. I mean, that's a good Christian message, isn't it? That there may be some of us sitting here that have some deep wounds. But that's what church is about, or what it's supposed to be about, is that you can come in here with your wounds, with your scars and your hurts. And when you encounter Christ, healing can begin. But if we just keep our eyes closed to what's going on around us, and just keep believing that everybody's okay, things aren't going to be okay. You are being deceived. You're listening to lies of the enemy that just because you walk through those doors and you're sitting in a church service, everything's great, it's a lie from hell. Because every one of you sitting here knows the issues that you may have, the struggles that you may be having right now as I've mentioned these things. And there's all kinds of other things that you can be thinking about. But the point is, you're wounded. And the church needs to become a place where people that have been wounded in battle can come for healing. You can go and open your eyes up. Don't be falling asleep on me now. The church, the body of Christ, and Praise Fellowship that we're sitting in here right now specifically, we need to be a place where the wounded come for healing and restoration. It needs to be a safe place that people can come and understand that wounds are okay. They happen, but don't continue bleeding out because you don't want to ask for help. How many remember the um, show M.A.S.H. from the 70s, the Mobile Army Surgical Hospital? The whole point of the M.A.S.H. unit, the whole point of the M.A.S.H. was to get the critically injured to a place close to the front line to save their lives yeah. and then once they've been stabilized they can be moved on to you know more you know, intensive care, more therapeutic care but those that are lost need this place to be a mass unit need it to be a place where they can come in badly wounded life is threatened yeah. and that if they don't encounter Christ they're dying and going to hell is PF that place? where people feel safe to come in out of the streets with their burdens, their darkness, their issues and their sins? Or are we gonna sit here and judge them? It's like, well, why is that person here? They don't fit in here. They're not all clean and ready to go. No, that's what the church is. That's right. It's a place of refuge. It's a place of healing that the world needs. And until we become that, We're not fulfilling the call of Christ on our lives. We need to be a hospital. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24. It says, let us consider one another to provoke, provoke unto and having good works. So how easy is it for me to provoke you if we never set foot in the same building? How many of you want me to provoke you? Okay. Okay. doesn't sound like a fun thing, right? The scripture is full of those kind of things, you know, provoke one another to good works. I don't, I'm not here to provoke you to make your life miserable. I'm here to provoke you to do good works that God may be glorified, that the Father may be glorified, that other people will see the love you have and that you're willing to step outside of your comfort zone, outside of your comfortability to do the works of Christ and verse 25 of Hebrews chapter 10 is the important part also, is not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Okay. A lot of churches like to use that verse to say we need to get lots of people in here. Just got to have numbers. Okay. That's not what it's about. It's about the gathering that we're doing this morning that we do on other days. What the gathering, the, you know, the assembling together is about, it's getting to know each other. Because how can I provoke you if I don't know how to provoke you. If I know you, if we have an intimate relationship where I know the struggles you have, I can also push you on those a little bit. There's some of you in here that I call on you to pray during our classes, and you probably mumble things under your breath at me sometimes because it's not something you're comfortable with. So I provoke you. I encourage you. You can do it. You're talking to God. Ignore everybody else that's in the room. It's you and God. Provoke each other. But the only way we can provoke each other into good works is if we spend time together, if we take the, make the effort to get into each other's lives. Not just say, hey, I recognize you, you're Bill. Good to see you, see you next week. It's actually about spending a little bit of time making the effort to go beyond the superficial of hi, hello, see you, goodbye. It's about making the effort, putting the time in. So the forsaking, not forsaking, the assembling together is important for the body of Christ to grow. Because how can we work as a team, as a unit, unless we've spent corporate time together? So we have to go beyond the superficial. It's harder to lie to somebody if you're looking them in the eye, isn't it? Because if I stand up here and I tell you, oh, I'm fine, everything's great, but in the meantime, you saw me come in this morning and I'm, oh, this day sucks. <laughs> what am I doing here? And then I stand up here, am I going to be a lie to you that everything's great? If I come in here mumbling and complaining and you know, brushing your hands off, they don't touch me? AJ, that's not for you. So for PF to truly become the place where wounded warriors come for healing we have to get real with each other. We have to be truthful with each other and we have to start trusting each other. Trust doesn't just happen. Trust is something that you have to make an effort to do by knowing the people that you're walking with. You know the 4x4 team that I was talking about, they have to trust that the lead guy with the baton is going to get it around to him. Otherwise all the work they've done has been useless. And we saw that in a couple of different races. The guy, one of the guys as they were trying to hand it off the next one, the baton got dropped. Race is pretty much over at that point. So we have to trust each other that we're going to get the work done, we're going to do the work that it takes to get the baton around to the next person. It's a team effort. Um, myself, the others that are in leadership here, we can't do it all. There's a lot of work to be done to build the kingdom of Christ. We need you guys. We need you as part of the you know the team, the battle, the army. You guys need to be equipped, you guys need to volunteer to do things to make this body of Christ what it is, to make it an effective point in God's plan the next part of the handout, the plan of Satan. We've talked about this quite often. The plan of Satan is to kill, steal, and destroy. And that's spoken of in John 10.10. And so in the battle, we know who our enemy is, right? Spiritual battle. Satan is the head of the spiritual army of darkness. We expect the enemy to try and kill us, right? You know, You go on a battlefield, you expect the enemy to try and kill you. So do you think Satan's trying to kill you? That's a given, right? Okay, that's not a surprise to anybody, is it? Okay, what I want to talk about a little bit this morning is what's called um, friendly fire. You've all heard that term, right? Friendly fire? Friendly fire is when I try and kill or injure my own allies. Maybe not on purpose, sometimes it would be on purpose depending on the situation. You're on the battlefield. The artillery is given the wrong coordinates. Drop the payload in the wrong area. Friendly fire. They didn't mean to do it, but battle, things happen, the fog of war. Rifleman was on sentry duty, and he sees a movement in the darkness, and he just takes a shot at it. (laughs) Potential friendly fire. Does friendly fire occur in the church? unfortunately we can say yes unfortunately we as Christians we wound each other in so many ways too often and I'm gonna say there's three reasons we do that The first reason is because we don't trust God we don't love and trust God second reason is we don't understand who we are in Christ and what we've been redeemed from and the third point is we forget we're in a spiritual battle Constantly reminding you. We are in a spiritual battle. I am not fighting against Don. Okay, no matter how belligerent Don is to me, he is not my enemy. It's a spiritual battle. Constantly remind ourselves of that. It's a spiritual battle. So you expect the enemy to take shots at you. But when friends do it, when fellow Christians do it, that's a shock to us. It's surprising to us it's probably even more wounding than having the enemy hurt you. again, World War II, um, one of the early battles in the Philippines was the Battle of the Bataan Peninsula and Corregidor Island. And the Japanese had pushed the allied troops, a lot of Filipino soldiers, Australian, a mix of soldiers, onto this peninsula and had them shut off. No supplies were getting in. They were running out of ammunition. Japanese were just basically, it was like the ravine. They were just turkey shoot. A lot of those soldiers, I think it was 60,000 of the Allied soldiers surrendered and they were put on what's called the Bataan Death March, 60 miles. Thousands of them died because they were executed, because they were already malnourished and wounded in some cases. Thousands of them died. Years later as the Americans we were advancing, retaking a lot of the territory that the Japanese had occupied. As we were approaching the Philippines, the Japanese were evacuating prisoners of war, POWs, away from to try and keep them from being repatriated. And one of the sad stories from World War II is a bunch of the Bataan Death March survivors were on a Japanese transport heading back to Japan. And an American submarine saw in his periscope a Japanese ship, and they sank it. Friendly fire? Not intended. They were just looking at an act of war. There's a Japanese ship, we're sinking it. So friendly fire happens, but it shouldn't be done on purpose in the church. What's friendly fire look like in the church? Paul addresses this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20. And Paul says this to the church at Corinth. And if you look at Paul's letters, Almost every one of Paul's letters, he's he's addressing issues in the church because the church is made up of us and we've got issues. And so God through his prophets, through his letter writers is trying to address our issues so that we can understand how to get out of them. So Paul's talking to the Corinthians church and the friendly fire, he says, I fear that when I come to you, I may find discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. Is that a church you'd like to be in? He's speaking to one church, the church in Corinth, and he's saying, I'm going to find all these things I fear. Friendly fire is that they were not taking, out, taking care of each other. They weren't watching out for each other. And I want to give you an example of what friendly fire can look like. Um, everybody's familiar with well, maybe not all of you, I shouldn't say that, with Huey's in Youngsville. It's where my office is, is in Youngsville, so I spend a lot of time in Youngsville. So let's just say, Steve, you're driving by Huey's in a couple of days, and here I come, I stumble out of Huey's. And your minds are already racing, aren't they? So Steve goes to Brian and says, you should have seen Rich. He was stumbling drunk coming out of Huey's. Is that friendly fire? What should Steve have done? thrown you in my car and got you home. <laughs> <laughs> but instead, what Steve did is he said, Did you hear what happened? And then Brian tells somebody else, hey, You hear what this guy's doing? Okay. And here's one of the classic wounding techniques within the church we need to pray for Rich because he's got a drinking problem. What Steve should have done, and he said he would, is he would have to care enough for me to stop his car and see what the problem is. And since it's my story, what he didn't see and what he took and told Brian that I was a drunken idiot was I stubbed my toe on the doorstep coming out and I stumbled out because I tripped. Not such a bad thing, right? I could lie, but. So the solution is we need to care enough for each other to actually stop and address issues. Not to try and say what you're doing is the worst thing I've ever seen, but because as a part of the body of Christ, if I'm not healthy, the body of Christ isn't healthy. So he needs to stop and see if I'm okay, throw me in the car, if I actually had been drunk. But we have to be the love of Christ to each other. Where we're willing to confront each other and guard each other. Yeah. And so now, if you hear the rumor, all of you have heard this thing that I've said, if any of you say that I was drunk, you need to be rebuked, <laughs> okay? But if you see an issue, if you see something you don't understand or that you've heard somebody else say something, if you've heard you know, five people removed from Steve that I was drunk and stumbling out of Hueys, come ask me. Don't ask another person if they heard that same rumor, that gossip. Go to the source and say, in Christ, I love you. What are you doing? Because if I were stumbling drunk out of bars, what kind of witness do I have for the love of Christ? It kind of ruins what I'm talking about here, doesn't it? It invalidates my walk. And so it doesn't matter what the issue is. We need to love each other enough and trust each other enough in Christ that we're willing to walk into each other's lives and deal with issues that may be evident or may not be evident. And so if you hear other people talking about my drunken escapades coming out of Huey's, you can say, oh no, that's not the case. If you know the truth, you need to stand for the truth. And as simple as, simple as that little example, analogy I gave you right there, is if you know the truth is that as I was coming out, I caught my toe on the threshold and you know, came stumbling out a little bit, that's the truth, not what anybody manufactures into saying, well, I think that's what happened to him. Okay? Don't do that to each other. Find out what the truth is and guard the truth and stand for the truth. So do we, do we love each other enough that if sin's evident in our life, are we willing to approach each other? So the next part on the handout is overcoming friendly fire. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Brothers, if a man is overtaken in a fault or a sin, you which are spiritual, restore him in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. So what's that say to us? That if you see me sinning as a brother or sister in Christ, do you love me enough to come and restore me to the path of righteousness? We need to have that kind of love and trust with each other. And the only way that love and trust is built is by having time with each other. Hearing each other's hearts, hearing each other's pains and wounds, whatever it happens to be. Being willing to listen is a huge part of it. Bear with me for a minute. Charles Spurgeon, one of the great early preachers in the 18th century, he's talking about friendly fire and he's talking about having a love for each other in such a way that you know we're willing to point things out. Um, you know, just a question to pose to you. Do you want to go to battle with someone who is not willing to tell you you've got a piece of broccoli stuck in your teeth? It seems like a simple thing, but if I'm standing up here, and I've been standing here all morning, those of you that talked to me before service, and I had a piece of broccoli stuck in my teeth, and you said nothing. <laughs> <laughs> do you love me? <laughs> Allow me to stand up here, you know, again, you know, to be real. Um, you know, guys, you know, how many times have we seen other guys, aren't your, your flies down? Okay? That would be kind of embarrassing. I'm not going (laughs) to check. But do we love each other enough to point things out? I mean, those are, you know, broccoli in my teeth, fly down. Those are silly things, you know, not real major. But that's the point I want to make is are we willing to speak in each other's lives and say, hey, this may not be right. Or that's not the best look for you or whatever it happens to be in love and truth, Not because we're judging one another or because we think we're better than another person, but because in Christ we want each other to be the best we can be. And so we have to be willing. So do you want to go into battle with somebody that's not willing to point out your broccoli in your teeth? Or would you rather go into battle with somebody that will stand with you and point things out to you, no matter how embarrassing it may be at the moment? I'd rather be embarrassed for a few seconds by a good friend than stand before hundreds of people and have you all laughing at me because of one minor oversight. All right, well, you do that, (laughs) Diane. But the spiritual battle, I mean, that's what we're looking at is what weaknesses do we have? What things are we still allowing Satan to buffet us in that we're not allowing others to speak into or that you're not willing to speak into another person's life? We have to be willing to do that. Um, What Charles Spurgeon said, or this is the prelude to it, is a good Christian friend will point out spiritual things to us we can't see, such as sin and idolatry. They will point out to us when we've wandered off the narrow path. They will show us areas in our life where we lack joy in God, relishing in the wonder of who He is and what He has done. A Christian friend won't tell us what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. And In Proverbs chapter 27, verse 5 and 6, it says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And especially that last part, profuse are the kisses of an enemy, is how did Judas betray Jesus? The wounds of a friend are faithful, it says. And so you telling me that I've got broccoli on my teeth may hurt my pride for a moment. It's going to wound me just temporarily. But in the long run, have you helped me out? If I'm stumbling out of that bar drunk and Steve stops and gets me in his car and gets me home safely, my embarrassment may be there for a moment, but my, his faithfulness to the cause of Christ has redeemed me. So we need to be willing to do that for each other. And Charles Spurgeon goes on to say this about friendships. True friends put enough trust in you to tell you openly of your faults. Give me for a friend the man who will speak honestly of me before my face, who will not first tell his neighbors and then another, but who will come straight to my house and say, Sir, I feel there is such and such a thing in you which is my, as my brother I must tell you of. That man is a true friend. He has proved himself to be so, for we never get any praise for telling people of their faults. We rather hazard their dislike. A man will sometime thank you for it, but he does not often like you any the better." So let those words sink in, that a true friend is one who's willing to speak honestly to you, even if you don't receive it well at first. So before we can help others come into the church, we need to seek the truth. That are seeking truth, that are lost and hurt. We have to be more effective in this. We have to be healthy. So how do we overcome friendly fire? So overcoming friendly fire, there's three points I want to close with. And the first one is out of 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 17. In that chapter, Paul tells the Corinthians once again, he says, Therefore, if anyone is Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled to us himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So what Paul's telling the Corinthians there is God first off, through Christ, reconciled us to him because in our sin we're separated from God eternally. In Christ, through Christ, we're reconciled, we're brought back into right relationship with our Father, with our Creator. And what Paul is saying here is Christ has now given us the ministry of reconciliation. We're already reconciled. If you have Christ in your heart, you're already reconciled to the Father. But what the ministry he's giving us now in Corinthians is he's saying that you and I have to be reconciled. He's given us that ministry of reconciliation of bringing ourselves back together. And what's that look like? is if you've got you know, an occasion or something against a brother or a sister, a place of unforgiveness, a place of contention, go reconcile. Make the relationship right. So we're given the ministry of reconciliation. That's how we overcome friendly fire. Wounding ourselves in the church is by bringing reconciliation. And if you've wounded me, I need to go to you and ask for a reconciliation. I need to forgive you. I need to repent if I've wounded you. There's so many things that we have to do, but it's all about making our relationship right with Christ through the Father, or for, with the Father through Christ, but also with each other. The second thing we can do is, the second part of the handout there, by his stripes we're healed. And that's Isaiah 53, verse five. And a lot of times when we talk about that verse, we think about physical healing. You know, if you have you know, broken bones, issues in your system, your lungs, whatever it happens to be, by his stripes we're healed. But I think the more important thing we need to bring out of that is the spiritual aspect, is what kind of wounds are we carrying around in our spirit, in our soul? By his stripes, those will be healed. So that's another way to overcome friendly fire, is by the stripes of Jesus that He shed the blood on the cross and has given us the opportunity, the the power through His blood to be healed. And then Mark chapter 11 verse 25. And this is how I spoke about this a little bit. Mark eleven twenty five says, and when you stand to pray, if you hold anything against another, forgive it. So that your Father in heaven will forgive your trespasses as well. And again, a lot of people don't like this verse. Because what it says that if you have anything against a brother or sister, if you're holding unforgiveness against them, what does that do to your forgiveness with the Father? Does it block it? Does it prevent it? It says until you make your relationship right with those that you're walking with, your brothers and sisters, you're preventing the words of the Father from being active in your life. So it's not all just about our relationship with the Father. It's important. It's vital. It has to be in place. But if we're neglecting the relationship with our brothers and sisters, we're also interfering with the relationship we have with the father it's got to be all-encompassing it's not all just about the father and take that in the way i'm trying to say it i'm not saying i'm not blaspheming it's about the father but part of the father's plan is to love the lord your god with all your heart soul and mind and love your neighbor love your brothers and sisters as you love him so the things that you're willing to do for the father are you willing to do for the brothers and sisters friendly fire will not happen if we love each other the way that we love God and if there is friendly fire that tells me that your relationship with the father isn't as good as you think it should be because if you're able and willing to wound each other the level of love you have for the father is not pure it's not your whole heart So it all comes down to loving and trusting the way he does. So if any of you are hearing what I'm saying and you have you know, flashes of faces or instances in your life that you've wounded another person, again, don't leave here without repenting of it. Bring reconciliation into your heart. Bring reconciliation into your life because that is what we're here for. We're here to worship God, and part of worship is reconciling. It's bringing back relationship and wholeness. So next week I'm going to continue talking on wounded warriors and how the enemy wounds us. So today was friendly fire and the things we can do to overcome it, the things that we do to bring reconciliation in but it's about training. It's about spending time with the Father so that He can impart to us the wisdom and the knowledge that He has, the love that He has. So if you would all, let's stand and close in prayer. If you have things that you need to bring forward to the cross, to the forgiveness of Christ, repentance, go ahead and feel free to do that. Let's close in prayer. So Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your word that you've given us in the Bible. The personal revelation that it brings, the corporate revelation that it can bring. I thank you for all the people that are gathered here today, physically in this building, but also all those that are gathered online, hearing the words that you're speaking, and not just for this church, Lord, but for all the churches in the world that gather together in your name and are seeking after you. Just bring wisdom, bring strength, bring unity. Bring us to life, Lord. We thank you and we give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. And just a reminder to everybody for next week, um, we're starting a new class called Biblical Foundations, and it will meet for four weeks from 8.30 to 9.45. If you want to sign up for it, there's a sign-up sheet on the back table. Um, The first class, we were going to limit it to 10. So sign up, first come, first serve. If you sign up number 11, 12, 13, the next round that we offer the class, you'll be in that class. So if you have any questions, feel free to come and ask me or put your name on the sign-up sheet. So Have a great day. Be blessed.